Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everyone doing? I hope you said great. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I know we're a couple hours early today, but it's kind of nice. Uh, with the weather the way it is, it's it's better this way, I think, because you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, night, night falls and then all hell breaks loose outside. Anyway, my uh, again, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. We've got a great show for you. I think you're going to love this show. I know I am. This gen- Robbie Thomas, the gentleman that's on, I, I have idolized him for a long time in the psychic field. I have followed his career. Wow, that's all I can say. You know, very seldom do I have somebody on that gives me the wow factor, but this, but he gives me the wow factor. Anyway, I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento. Usually, it's sunny Sacramento, but not anymore. Uh, we are 45 strong up and down the state, and that means we can get to you no matter where you're at. Should you have a paranormal issue, or you think you have a paranormal issue, it might take us a bit to get to you because California is a big state. But we will get to you. We also have affiliations in Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and Hawaii. So if you need help in those states as well, we can help you out. Okay, that being said, if you're watching from Facebook today and you like what you see, please be sure to hit that like and follow button. If you're watching from, it could just been here, okay. If you're watching from YouTube, let's see if I can point this out first try. Ah, right there. That bottom right-hand corner, that is our mascot. And if you haven't done so already, uh, please be sure to subscribe. Uh, hit that button that will subscribe you to all, our video, all of our shows. We have more than 480 shows sitting over there on YouTube. All different topics. I'm a journalist, so I like to change it up. So it's not always paranormal. So uh, I think you might find something that you like over there. So uh, please do that. If you're if you're over here from TikTok, from my TikTok crowd, please be sure to subscribe to YouTube. But check out our videos until we can get everything mechanized enough to be over on TikTok. We're working on that right now. Technical, technical, technical. Uh, if you want to follow me in other places, you can follow me over at Twitter. <laughs> Try to remember all this stuff at Cal Haunts, uh, Instagram at Ghostly Gal, at Ghosty Gal, and that's all lowercase. And of course, over at TikTok at California Haunts. We also have a Discord, a California Haunts Discord for California Haunts Ghosty Groupies. So check us out over at Discord as well. Anyway, I'm going to let my guest tell you about himself. But he is—he is something. He's been doing this for years, and I've—I've uh, seen—I've I've even seen him. I think on TV appearances is where I—I grew to learn about him and what he does, and it's fascinating. So let's bring him in, Robbie Thomas. Hello, sir. How are you? Good. I am so excited. Yes, finally we got down to the show, and you know it's very coincidental. We were scheduled prior to. Mm-hmm. And I took ill and got better. We rescheduled today, and I, I tested positive for COVID a week and a bit ago. So, um, I, wow. I I got a little bit of voice, but I'm in there. I'm good. Um, pulling through. Um, this whole campus of mine, wife and children, we all have it. So I mean, I guess it's the new norm. So we have to I just. Guess so move that's on. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to get used to having it. So tell me about you. I mean, you have had quite a career. Yes. 
Yes, um, quite lengthy, uh, very thorough. It is very tangible in very different aspects of the paranormal, uh, true crime, being an author, a best-selling author, uh, director, producer, uh, TV shows, movies. Uh, you know, it's been a great, a great haul. I've enjoyed myself, and and it continues. Um, what I am at best at doing is I'm I'm a I'm a husband and, and father, and uh, I do take the garbage out. I do get yelled at, and I do you know make messes and everything. I'm normal. Um, the big inclination of what who I am is I work with law enforcement, and I have for 32 years on missing persons and murder cases. Uh, very detailed, high-profile cases throughout the years put many people, or helped put many people, let's rephrase that, helped the Blue Line put many people away in prison, uh, found people, brought them home with the Blue Line, um, substantial evidence given for them to bring the perpetrator to court, and I wrote a book about it. Um, I detailed all those years. I didn't know how to, to, to come about putting this into the right way of context for people to understand. So it took many years to formulate, many years to get all the information from all the different detectives, all the different current reports, family letters, news media um, followings, headlines, and established footnotes from the beginning of a case to the end of the case. And, and I show people and I take them along and how it's done exactly when I get the call, I go on scene and I give my evidence to the law enforcement, which then in turn, I have to match what they have in their files or otherwise like one detective many moons ago used to tell them, well, they all did, you know, if, if it doesn't match, it goes in under G, which means garbage. Mm -hmm. And we would we would establish that that foundation and go from there. Um, it's been a it was a great book to write. It's very informative for families. I wanted it to be a family book. And in and, 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 and saying so, there's one chapter I took a lot of privy to because now we see on the news how children are more apt to be on social media. And then that triggers the perpetrators out there to violate and, and lure these children or even adults, let's say. It, it happens to adults. And then the inevitable happens, or you know, which we don't want to talk about, and it's hard. Um, but in that one chapter, I, I strictly give like a menu of what you should do with your child. You know, we used to hear the stories, you know, we shouldn't friend our, our children, but be parents to them. Anymore, you need to be both. You need mm -hmm. to be their friend and their parent. You need to be able to be on that level with them in order to broaden the, the opening of acceptance. And, and that makes you into their social media. We're dealing with the black web and, and things like this. So that one chapter in that in there is very prevalent for today's child. I just find what you do so interesting. Is it, I mean, 
how how is it for you because it must be very emotional for you when you get involved in these cases yeah it's um you know i take my wife on every case i go if i get called by the fbi cia us marshals or or whoever in the united states or now i live in canada so whoever in canada she comes with me wherever i go she sees the hardship and i'm different in how i convey myself as a person when i'm on a case you see me as a as a, sh a show guest here and and i'm and i'm you know just a guy right i'm mm -hmm. just I'm talking and but when it comes down to the professionalism of trying to solve a crime find somebody there's only those little minutes you have so i block out everybody and i'm strictly case oriented and and what i say needs to be stipulated in, in, in that course of action. So I go cold. I've learned that over the many years, you really have to become that driven person to go cold in order to do these. Because if you, if I am like who I am now, soft-hearted, I'd be just right. the melted butter. I'd be, I have to become that person where I don't care about anything else but that person I'm helping or that family I'm helping and, and do my best diligence. So that's what it's all about. Um, it's, it's an arrowhead or a spearhead to where if I take myself out of who I am in real life and then put myself in a professionalism of this, call it profiling, mm -hmm. psychic medium, whatever you want to call it. I'm indigenous. So I, I call it spiritual realm of, of being indigenous. That's how I work it. Mm -hmm. um, the titles, they don't mean anything to me. They never have. I think I mentioned on the show before, but what we have to establish is that we're doing the humanistic side of things and we mm -hmm. have to take that and, and, and go from there. Now, when you get the visions, when, you know, when you're out, are, are you seeing the actual crime or are you just seeing, you know, the body laying there or, or, or what do you see exactly? Yeah, it's, um, it's like a movie. Um, it plays out. So when I was flown down to Maryland from being asked uh, from an FBI and there's a CIA agent's daughter was missing, I was asked, would I give some details prior to going so that they could see I was genuine? So they give me the photograph of the daughter missing. That's all I have. So I have the daughter on my screen and, and everything starts to, to play out and formulate. And I'm following what I'm seeing and hearing, smelling, tasting. And I'm writing all, all my indications down in a, in, a, in a menu kind of way, like before, during and after a profile. Mm -hmm. And I fax it off. Then they tell me, okay, now we're flying you here because everything you hit upon is everything we have. And it has to be a substantial amount. It can't be there's a river, there's a tree. No, it's very precise in what I was speaking of. So they fly you down. Bring my wife, again, we're on this case. We go down there, CIA agent's daughter is missing. And I go into the D DSA's office, district attorney's office. Uh, the DA, um, go in and then there's the CIA agent, the DA, um, the sheriff, 
another law enforcement and they hand me this is suspect a suspect b and victim and then he hands me a map of maryland and virginia and we just come off a long flight to ronald reagan airport um that's all i had that's all they gave me and and i appreciate that because then it shows the authentic way of how i work to coordinate with them so that it, it so they know they're not messing around or wasting your time mm -hmm. so i get that i go back to my my um hotel room escorted driven back get in there and i look at the map and i see a little road and i circle it and all the evidence i gave prior to is already established 90 percent of this case mm -hmm. so the next morning i come back and it's almost like a, a double hit on me where they wanted to make sure I knew what I was talking about. So I hand the map to Homer. Homer looks at it and didn't say nothing much but get in the car. So then we left, we get in the car and he's driving around. And again, here's a, here's a test for, for them against me or any profile person who actually works with law enforcement. They drive you to this place, is this it? And I said, no, and they drive you over to this place, is this it? No. And then I said, Homer, take me back to where that road was. And he goes, get out of my car. And he pulls the car over and he stands there with his arms crossed. And he goes, for two years, I was looking at that road and there's no way you could have known her phone pinged off Andrews Air Force Base tower and the county over tower and had her in the middle on this road. There's absolutely no way because you live in Canada. You would have had to been here to do the crime. Mm -hmm. And he goes, there's no way you could have drawn that road precisely how it wound and all the garbage and, and described the beds, the TVs and everything that were laid along the road because I was not there. Um, he goes, I don't know how you do it. And he goes, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in people like you. And he goes, but I'm starting to. And we started to go through all this. Well, we call out the dog teams. It was about winter time. And as you say, how do I see it is exactly how I seen as I'm describing to you the drawings, visual, um, like a movie and, and flashes at times. So then he brings out the dog team and we got a hit. And so we dug up this bag and in the bag was the tools that were missing from his truck, um, flip phones. Um, there was a weapon in there um woman's blouse woman's chain um there was flip-flops so that's evidence mm -hmm. now that's hardcore that's evidence um we take that and then it started raining and and pouring and i said you know she's wound up in a red blanket kind of carpet but a hundred feet from the roadway and this is where we'll find her in in this area so winter again and it was raining and snow and what have you we had to wait till spring they went back mm -hmm. and went into the area and they found a body wrapped in red blankets 100 feet roughly off the side of the road so i get a call from the cia mom and she says you found her you found her and but that we have to do dental because um she's so decayed all that time and so mm -hmm. we waited for the, the reports to come back and as they came back it turned out that it was another family's 
baby who went missing and was murdered. So not only did we find somebody else and solve that case, we got this case we're working on, but we found the bag and, and still trying to find Catherine. Now, looking at all that in hindsight, they made me do another case as well of a, a major um, high profile case in 1986, a, a leader of a bike gang, he shot, stabbed, and he put his um, girlfriend in a sleeping bag and buried, and first of all, he had sex with her after stabbing and shooting her on film, wow. put her in a sleeping bag and buried her. And then they say to me, um, to Homer's, they were taking me back to the, to the hotel to leave. They go on the, on the radio, we know he's in town. Can you, can you bring him up here? Can, can he stay? And so he asked me and I looked at the boss, who's the wife. And she said, yeah, we'll stay. So we stayed longer and um, they shoot me up to towards um, Washington. Sure enough, um, I'm on scene. Back in 1986, it's farmland. And now it's million dollar homes all around. It looked like the set of E.T. As we rolled in and big, big, beautiful homes and the diggers and the police cars have been there since 1991 looking, digging everywhere. This is 2017. So now we're on scene and the lead investigator, John, comes up to me and Homer's standing there. My wife is standing there and all these disgruntled police officers because they've been there for so long and they just did the last dig and they got nothing. So he says to me, you tell me one thing that we know that nobody else knows, you don't know, and you can stay on my, on my scene. I looked at Homer and I said, I'm, I'm being tested here now. And I said, he wanted me to come up here and I'm being taken. And then they started saying, just do it, just do it. So I said, okay. So I said, I see that she's buried, but she's buried, but something on top of her. And it's like metal. It's like, like a tank. Well, no sooner I say tank, he's reaching out and he's hugging me and he rips the patches off his arms and he hands them to my wife and he's calling me brother. And he goes, nobody knew that. He goes, show me where. So I said, I need an I need a photograph, an aerial photo of the topography of the land. I need to visualize this. So the young guy who's on on the case, a detective, runs the car, comes back, brings an envelope, and takes out a photograph, puts it on the back of the car. And I took it and I turned it about oh maybe thirty degrees, and I said, now watch the topography of the land. There's the creek. It looks a little different than it did back then because back then it was just farmland and there was a trailer where he lived and maybe a football field and maybe more was his sister's trailer. And it had one road in to her and one road out and just land in the middle. And I said, where's her trailer? So the young guy takes off, John, the elder um, detective, and I mm -hmm. walk over. And Homer walks over. The other cops now, they're all standing up. And we're walking towards her trailer. Get over there. And I'm looking at the ground. I'm looking around. And there's this area. It's um, maybe 15 to 20 feet by 15 to 20 feet square. And it had an iron uh, fence about three feet high. One of those fancy ones with little spear things on the top of them, right? And it had a tree in the middle and vegetation all along inside. And the tree was in the middle, but the land went like this, crumbled. 
and the tree was in the middle. And I said to John, I said, what happens to a, uh, a, a tank, like a septic tank over like 30, 40 years? And he goes, it would decay and crumble. And I said, well, yeah, it, it, naturally, right? And he goes, and he looked over there at the tree like this. And he goes, point. And I pointed at it. And then he goes, point again. And I pointed. And then he just, oh, my gosh. He goes, we need to even thought of that. And then the young guy goes, her trailer would have been right here. And by the photograph, her septic tank would have been right where the tree was. So then they went to get a warrant, dig it all up and what have you. And that was the last place that should have been dug. Um, mm -hmm. It took them time to get a warrant because you're talking about people's property and what have you. By then, we're already back home. And um, by getting back to your question now, how do I visualize that? When he asked me that question, you tell me one thing. As soon as he put that out there, it, it came in as, okay, I see something on top of a body on her, but it was much, much bigger and heavily weighted. And I felt it like on me. And then I started seeing round and then I started describing what I was seeing, like metal and then tank. And then it just went inside like down on top of her. So that's what I felt from the question given. And um, it's like a TV again. It wasn't like flashcards, but it was like being played out like a movie. And you could see that. So that's how it happens with me. Um, yeah. Now, the, 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 these, these playbacks and visions that you get, where do you think they're coming from? Are they coming from you know, the Almighty or are they coming from the victim themselves? You know, I, 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 often, I often pray to a creator, um, asking okay. for, for guidance always. Um, mm -hmm. Anybody who is on the other side, who is tied to that family, let's say, or my family, um, spirit mm -hmm. guides, my ancestors, um, guide me. Um, we need help. It's not about the moment or me. It's about them. And it's like, uh, I got an army behind me and they just, they help me. Um, I do a lot of praying. I ask uh, God or creator what, mm -hmm. um, what, what is a warrior like myself to go into battle with. And I need those type of weapons, though, those type of elements so I can seek out what is right and give the proper answers. Or if I can't get it dead on, at least get somewhere where law enforcement can open that door and, and find that avenue, give them some path that they can follow and go down. Um, looking back on, on, you know, the, on the first time that, that you did this, what made you get into this work? I went through to be a police officer twice in my younger years. Um, mm -hmm. I was 17 and was hired and fired in, in the same day. Um, yeah, you know, I burst my bubble. Um, I wanted to be a cop so bad. So mm -hmm. I went and did in my hometown all the physical testing, the psychological testing, all the interviews, made it right to the end and where they were taking three auxiliaries. And I remember sitting in the chief's office, and he was a big burly man. 
and you can hear him in a big, deep laugh. The two auxiliaries were sitting to my left, and I was sitting in a chair in front of the chief's desk. And there's paperwork, of course, on there. And the chief finally makes it in. He comes in. He shakes the two auxiliaries' hands, welcomes them to the force, then shake my hand or say, welcome to the force. He mm -hmm. sits down with a big smile on his face. And, you know, I didn't take that as being ignorant or being left field um, because here you are. You have a 17-year-old kid beat out 21, 22, 23-year-old adults for a position of professionalism in, in policing. Mm -hmm. So I had the mustache. I was a big kid, you know, did weights way all my life and everything. And he turns and he says to me, son, how old are you? And I said, gee, and then to me, it didn't matter because I was, mm -hmm. I, I was proud as a peacock. I'm, I'm a cop. That's all I got in my head. I'm a cop. I'm a cop. I'm going home. Tell my mom I'm a cop. Right. And um, I said, I'm 17 chief. And he's, then you hear the other two giggle and he's giggling and he goes, son, and he explained nicely to me and he goes, you got to come back when you're 20 to be an auxiliary. Oh, my heart fell. So, but I didn't give up and he, he, he instructed me in what to do and, and how to go over and, you know, keep my, I guess my pride in check. So, um, yeah, I went through again, got hired on second time, little town outside of Toronto in my twenties. Then I came home after being hired on and sitting in the kitchen having coffee in the morning with my father and i hear a lady screaming accident accident so i run out the screen window the sliding door i run in my backyard and i jumped on the fence and and there's a row of townhouses behind my house and she's in, there, in her house coat running up and down screaming and she looks, sees me and she points down the roadway. So I hop the fence and I'm running. I'm thinking accident. People are hurt. You know, I got CPR. I got my first responders course. You know, I'm, I'm going. So I get around and, and the road curves to the street. I get out there and it's normal traffic. There's nothing there. And then I see a man and he yells at me to my left. He goes, come here. So I run over to him. Now he's in the sliding door of this townhouse. And I go to walk in and I see a lady running around the table screaming and a gentleman to my right holding a doorknob. And he goes like this to me. So I run over to him and now it's still got in my mind, blood, accident, somebody's hurt. I'm looking at the floor. He grabs my shoulder, opens the door, pushes me in this little room, shuts the door. So I'm still thinking, okay. And I'm looking at the ground. I look up and I see a man and he's sitting on the toilet and he's dead. Um, oh. He's, his eyes are wide open. His lips are a little blue and cloudy. Um, so he's like milky and I'm touching cold. And so I begin to do vitals. And then I mm -hmm. go, go do CPR. And I hear, let me go. And it never clued in because I can see here and what have you. I just wanted to save mm -hmm. this guy's life. And I stopped for a second. Go, no. And it, again, it didn't clue into me that he's talking to me. So I check for vitals again. I check the other side and I start to go to do uh, CPR and I hear really loud, let me go. I Then I understood. I go, oh, I get it. He's talking to me and I can hear him and this is real. So I back out that room. Now there was three people in that room. By the time I got out there in, in the middle of a minute, maybe minute and a half, maybe a little longer, the place is packed. I mean, there's probably a hundred people in there and they're all staring at me. And then my father made it around, come to the door. And it was just like, 
uncanny how he I come out, he comes in and he goes, well, and he looked at me and I just shook my head like this because answering his question and everybody screams because they knew what I just did. Um, turned out it was my sister's best friend's father. He had a massive coronary and tear at his heart. So the coroner made me go and, and talk to him because he had to do the coroner. I'm, I'm the one who said, well, he's not alive. And so I went to, I get, you know, it's got to be proper. I can't announce anybody dead and stuff like this. Um, he said I wouldn't have had an opportunity to save this man. His heart was torn. And so it kind of alleviated a little bit of pressure on me. But mm -hmm. then I knew I had another way of where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do with law enforcement. So I call up the precinct in the town nearby Toronto. And I say, I quit. And you can't quit when they hire you. Um, spend a lot of money and time to get you the candidate to be their police officer, right? Mm -hmm. So they said, we're going to send down a film crew, a captain, a sergeant, and a film crew. And that's the trade-off. You're not coming here and wasting our time and blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't wasting their time. It just, I knew where I was going different than this. So they brought all that down to my house and set it all up. And we went through the, the motions of asking questions. And it was the very first movie I was ever in. I was, I think it was 21, 2021 at the time. And it's uh, a working tool for firefighters, police officers, and EMTs when they quit under duress. So the, I remember the captain said to me, you better show a lot of duress on this film. And I had no tears. I was just speaking the truth like I'm explaining to you now. And that there was when I when they come to that question as why do I quit? And I told him, I said, I heard him. He told me, let me go. Oh, their jaws fell and they said, wrap it up. <laughs> Um, closed everything up and that was it. And off they went. Um, so yeah, that was my, my beginning of my new path that, uh, creator or God put me on and here we are. So up to that point, you hadn't had any kind of experiences, even as a kid. Oh yeah. Even as a kid, many, many experiences. Um, yeah, go back to when I was two years of age. Well, I'll take you right back to age two. Sure. Go for yeah. it. Yeah. Age two. Um, you got this snot-nosed kid running around the house going, Mom, um, either I'm adopted or I feel there's somebody out there that's part of me. And my mother tell he's doing it, and my dad, get in here, leave her alone. So this went on for, for some time at age two and on. My mother in the 50s met a man who promised her the world and getting married at age 15 back in the fifties was a norm. People mm -hmm. got married very young. So he promised her and my mom got pregnant prior to getting, getting married to this man. The man decided um, he's not going to marry my mother. Him not being indigenous left my mother alone. My mother was Métis. Um, my bloodline goes back to the very first time when Champlain came to North America, Turtle Island, and he met my great-grandfather, Chief Rook Manitobuich, and they became great friends. And then his daughter married the very first European and documented by the government and the church in, in North America or Turtle Island. 
and she started the Métis Nation out of Quebec. So that's where my bloodline comes. So my mother being Métis with Algonquin here in blood, back in the 50s and the 60s, 70s, 80s, right up to 2000s, the colonialism of North America, that's America and Canada, the residential schools were very prevalent everywhere. So if something happened that wasn't right for the colonialists, they took the indigenous children and put them in these schools, residential schools. Well, they happened to put my mother in one of those schools, my aunts, my uncles. Um, when my mother gave birth, they ripped my sister from her arms. Well, she didn't get a chance to hold her. It was from her womb. Mm -hmm. And they adopted her out to a white family. Now, they, she spent three years in a residential school being tortured. It was one of the worst ones here in Ontario, St. Anne's, and people can Google that. And, and they I mean, they made a miniature electric chair and they tortured all indigenous peoples and mm -hmm. children and this, the nuns and the Catholic priests and all that. Um, so bringing you back to, to my time, mm -hmm. I'm saying either I'm adopted and then because she met years later, she met my father after getting out and, and aging a little bit and met my father, um, married him, got pregnant and had me. So then get in here, leave, leave your mother alone. So then here we are. Um, fast forward to 1994. The night before my mother passed. And a lot of people know about sleep paralysis mm -hmm. and here i am visited by the four horsemen which were i guess in context from creator showing me that the good the bad the evil and the other mm -hmm. much goes on in our lives so i'm pinned to the bed can't move and things are playing out in front of me and the white horseman comes over and says not to worry your life's going to be taken care of you're going to be fine but you have to understand this is what's going to happen today. And they played it out before me. So now I hear him and the morning comes and I'm so bewildered. I couldn't move. I'm stone cold. Can't move. This is even after I'm, I'm just frozen in my thoughts. My heart's sunk to the ground. So finally, like every day, I go over to my mother's house to have coffee and toast before work. I, I leave my wife. I go over there. And... I come in the door and I go in the kitchen. Normally she hogs me. She mm -hmm. never did this day. She had her back to me facing out the window and making coffee. And it was felt it strange, but I sat down and I said, you know, mom, I'm very compelled. I really have to tell you this. This is what happened to me last night. And it's so real. It's surreal. And I started explaining everything. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, today's your day. And this is what was explained to me. Today's your day. And she turned almost like she knew and she turned and she says you go home and i'll call you in an hour or so and i'll watch your daughter and while you go to work and, and leash can have the day and i said okay so that's like that's going through my head i got asked to leave that's going through my head i already had what happened last night that's going through my head and it's that push-pull factor where I don't want to leave because I know something's wrong, but I mm -hmm. have to go because you told me to. So mm -hmm. I go home now and I'm bewildered. I'm sitting in the kitchen with my best friend ready 
to go to work now. And the phone rings. It's about an hour later, just like she said. And um, my father's screaming on the phone. It's your mother. It's your mother. So we race back over there. And I remember seeing the EMTs coming out of the house, her little hand hanging out the side, her little purple sock on her one foot that wasn't covered, and the one EMT on top doing compressions. And they get into the ambulance and off to the to the um, emergency she went. Well, you know, when I got to the, the doors of the emergency and I stood on the threshold and they were bringing her across, the EMT was still on top doing compressions. Mm-hmm. He, he, he yells to the other guy, stop. And he stopped like right at me halfway. And my mother was right there. He's sitting right there on top of her. And he heard what I heard. She said goodbye to me, but she was dead. She was already dead. Hmm. And he said to me, did you hear that? And I said, yeah, did you hear that? And then the guy goes, come on. And he took her in there. He came out later on and talked to me. And he goes, I never seen anything like that before in my life. He goes, she was gone. And I said, Hmm. I know, I know that was her. And it it was amazing. So I brought you from age two up to now and a very, very bad story. Um, A lot of things in my life uh, being, um, very spiritual, mm-hmm. very, very, very uh, grounded in who I am indigenously, um, knowing my bloodline and where I come from. Um, and I think that really perpetuates who I am and mm-hmm. what I want to do because I love people. And I, mm-hmm. my mother did. I learned that from her. She goes, it does. I remember her teaching me. It doesn't matter what religion you are, what path you take or, or where you go. We answer to creator. And I remember her telling me that. And she forgave them who did that to her those many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. It's just that your story's fascinating in that I compare it with, with some of my own experiences as well when my mother passed. In that when she did die, because you're being a ghost hunter, you hear all these stories about s- smells and all this. So I bathed my mother in a scented soap after right. she passed and that night she was here with me and my friends witnessed it and smelled it you know she was here she was at the funeral you know and stuff like that that stuff intrigues me right they, you know it's not a, i know it's in the paranormal i mean i've been in paranormal movies go my first i mean I, my first investigation was 1978 um my my best one i loved was in 1994 being in the live volcano in the belly in the lagoon in portugal and there was a pirate ship down there and i've been there five times now and that's part actually what a segue that's part of the new tv series i'm in um called halloween obsessed um it's available on amazon prime tubi tv they have the we've won seven awards so far in the first two episodes um michael gross is in it from uh, family ties um d wallace from et halloween cujo she's she's involved in it um great award-winning producers from and director uh linda palmer from la uh yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm tickled pink even thought of me but i i used that story of that paranormal investigation of 1994 and subsequent ones i've been with film footage and and what have you uh amazing so i mean Love the paranormal. Been in a long, long time, too. I mean, many moons. Uh, been around throughout the States, Canada, Europe. 
Um, you know, many I spoke at many engagements throughout the United States, many of my own tours um, until COVID hit. And we all know what COVID did to everybody. Right, right. Um, but here we are. I mean, yeah, you know, it's the thing of the paranormal and the paranorms and being a para-whore. Um, that's who we are. We thrive on this. And like, like my mother used to say, and like we talk about this all the time throughout our community, there isn't really a wall, a door, or a bridge you go through. It's not even a veil. It's mm -hmm. just there. There's different levels of life, and that's what we are. We are mm -hmm. stepping stones to the next level. Um, you know, even my kids get it. They got it since they were very young. They see very well everything, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, it's just amazing. Have you ever, um, after working on a case, have you ever had a victim come to you to thank you? Yeah, yes. Um, I love children. I love children um, my whole heart. And I get when I get tied up into a case, my whole being becomes with them. Um, and the families, they adopt. I, I like to call it adopt because they say it. I mean, I'm adopted by their families. Mm -hmm. Stay in touch. Um love each other i brought my family to their homes so that's how close we get um i remember after a case we got the two murderers we did a balloon release in st thomas for victoria stafford and she came to me many times to prove to her family that she was around them which made them in comfort which was great i mean this child spoke freely through me and it was amazing um, after the balloon release, when we got home, I'm on my couch, my children were on the floor sitting and my wife's on the other couch and they look at me and I see her come and she comes right over and sits on my lap and, and I'm hugging her like this because she's hugging me and my family's looking at me going, what's dad doing? <laughs> you know? And I said, she's here again. Like, cause my wife heard her knock on the walls and when I asked her to and things like that. Right. So they know they're just watching now. And then I let go. And I remember seeing the little butterflies cause she loved butterflies that were with her and she handed me one flower and it was purple it was her favorite, favorite color flower. And so I'm sitting there going, wow. It was like, thank you. Finally, this is done. So then not sooner than she leave, I call up, um, Rebecca the aunt and I'm speaking to her and she's relaying the message to Rodney, the father. I said, she was just here and she, she, she hugged me and gave me a flower and the butterflies. And they're all like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. It's true because that was her favorite was the butterflies, the flower and everything that correlated to all this about Victoria. And um, I even went out as far as, and I was shopping one day. It was just after that. And it was in the summer and, I love gardening too with, with the wife and I never seen a bush ever called the Victoria bush. And I seen it and I said, I want that bush. Cause I'm, it's Victoria. It was just right after. And it's still been there for like, Oh my gosh, since 2009 till now. And it's a beautiful bush. Um, and every year and every summer it's right there in front of my deck and I sit there and it's just, I don't know. It's just something that reminds me of them too. And, and it's for her cause she gave me, I gave her back um yeah so i do get thanked um you're, you're not a physical medium are you you don't feel like 
the pain that, that they suffer, do you at all? Yeah, I do everything that all these certain titles that I guess I'm and and please people don't don't hate me. Um I'm just I've never used titles growing up as a kid and, mm -hmm. and doing what I did, there was no such thing as psychic to me. Whenever you said psychic, I used to think of the Wizard of Oz, that guy that would go down and you know sit there in a wagon and do his readings and stuff. You know what I mean? That's yeah. my visual. No, I don't use his clear audience, clear this and that. No, I just do what I do. It's what God gives me. Um, right. It happens this way. People put titles to things because they have to have identification markers. I never have. I, I, I don't like it. Um, like here, like even this part here, the title of the book, uh -huh. Psychic Profiler. Uh -huh. uh, yes, the, tychic, the, the title of the book, Psychic Profiler, that was deemed by law enforcement. The real deal that was deemed by law enforcement, many of them. Um, I went with it. I remember one, one, two, two. I can't count any more than two right now, but I know they all say it. They go, You're the Rolodex. Whenever we have something, we just we call you. And um, yeah, it's uh, I, I, I am honored for one thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't like the titles because it makes me classified as something other than what I should be just me Rob and for years many many shows I've been on many different television programs my first one hour television special was 2003 hmm. even then I said when they asked me what do you call it I said I call myself Rob my mom gave me that name it's Rob I don't put titles to me um <laughs> strange as that is um but yeah um feel smell i remember doing a case where they said to me and i had the family in the house in the paper and they snapped my picture and the headlines and the cops were there and um i described everything from the baseball bats to everything you know every feeling um and it was all right um you know different cases i do like little caesar and in um, some of these cases we're talking about tonight are in the book. People can read thoroughly all of them. Sure, sure, uh, so, sure. so they can get the real gist and feel what I feel. I know I know they'll feel it. Um, but when they asked me, you know, he's missing. Can you help me? Send me the photo. And I'm explaining everything that he's showing. Well, first of all, it started out being spirit guides and, and, and ancestors showing me where certain aspects. And then mm -hmm. I felt him gone that was the time he was being murdered and i said that i said and i was mad livid for about a nap for oh my gosh five minutes ten minutes before he came back in and then now i'm talking to him and it hurt it hurt me because i i knew that that black void what happened he was drowned in his bathtub so that mm -hmm. black void i felt was him his life being taken um and i explained uh, I've led the police right to the murderer's home. I mean, mm -hmm. I stood on the murderer's front porch and described the front, the, the stadium right across the street, the, the construction in front of his house. I even gave the murderer's name. And they went there, and he's in, he's in prison for the rest of his life. He was mm -hmm. arrested December 7th, 2007. And um, thank God there's a monster up. You know, I, 
Yeah, I hate those. If there was ever a vigilante group, I'd be the number one guy going getting these guys, you know? Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think every one of you people would join me and be right beside me doing it, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but we have to do with the letter of the law. And mm-hmm. uh, But yeah, feel, taste, and smell, and everything. I feel it all. And so in the description in the book, people will read and go, and you'll feel it too. I know you will. I know you'll from my heart, you'll feel this. That's it, uh, fascinating. Um, I'm so interested in what you do because there, there's not a lot of people that, I mean, there's people that do it, but they're not as accurate as you are with this stuff. What do you think makes you so accurate? I never looked at it that way as okay. accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at it as what could I have done more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know I can't stop the inevitable. Um, at that moment, Caesar was being drowned. What could I have done to stop that? And right. then I, you know what I mean? And then I, that plagues me and that, and that, and that wears a burden. I carry that cross. Um, I know my wife tells me, you know what I mean? I mean, I talk about these cases all the time. Sure. I wake up through the night and I think of these children, adults and whatever. I, it's, I, I don't have an answer for mm-hmm. that pertaining to other people because mm-hmm. I just focus on me only. Mm-hmm. Um, when I get called, you know, I'm filming in 2017 in West Virginia, the wrap up of a new TV series. And the lady texts me and she goes, they're going to unplug him and they're going to kill him. Can, can you, can you come? And I said, I just landed in Virginia. I I'm, I'm, we're filming. I said, if you can ask the neurologists, like normally they don't listen to people like me or anything like that or whatever. And to hang on, I'll be back on hopefully Monday, Tuesday, you know what I mean? To help you. I didn't know what to tell this lady. I didn't know what to say. Right. And so she said, okay. And she got her hopes up and then she texted back. She, and it was a miracle because they said they would wait. But, oh, here we go. So we f- did the filming and we finished up early. That was a, that was a, that was a bonus and a miracle that happened. And then we got into a car and we drove 12 hours or more straight home me and the wife straight back to over here got in late got into the next day and i'm sitting in the parking lot of the hospital and i'm asking god and i'm saying i don't even know why i'm here <laughs> i mean i'm so done from all the filming and driving and and, uh, and i'm frustrated and um, all these emotions right and i'm sitting there looking at this hospital and i'm just like i gotta you know what am i gonna do in there well, what's gonna happen so i get in there and all of a sudden it was like a, a, a vacuum all the noise around me just went away and all i see is julie and she's sitting down in a chair holding herself and she jumps up and she comes and hugs me and i'm hugging her and she's got my arm and she she rushes me over to the icu and she punches in the code number to open the door so we can go in the icu i get into the icu and she leads me to the room immediately and i take my hat off and i'm looking at her husband his eyes are open um just not there right and i'm thinking oh my gosh you know what i mean i see tubes and and everything from every orifice out of his body and so many things going into his body and on him and everything and everything's beeping and making all these noises mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden that just went away and so it's just me and him and I could barely hear Julie. And I started to pray. And I said, creator, God, 
just tell me, just tell me or have him tell me. And as soon as I was wording all this in my heart and my mind, I hear it's the wrong medicine. My brain is swollen and I need time to heal. And I open my eyes and I'm looking at this man who is like in a, in a void. And I, and I, and I'm saying again, it through me, you know, the same thing, please tell me again. And he goes again, it's the wrong medicine. My brain is swollen and I need time to heal. So I put my hat on. Julie goes, Oh my gosh, it's no good. Is it? And then she hugs me and I said, no, Julie, no, no, Julie, listen. I said, you have to tell the doctors this. Now at that time I'm conversing with Julie mm-hmm. over my shoulder. I can see in, in the, the reflective glass line, mm-hmm. the ICU door and everybody's standing there, the nurses, doctors, everybody's watching. And I said, you got to tell him exactly what I just said to you guys. And so I go to turn to leave so she can have her moment. I, I know it was time for me to go. I mean, you know, and I thank, she thanked me. And, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden this elderly, beautiful lady comes in five foot, nothing, maybe 90 pounds at the most. I'm not a little guy. I work out every day in the gym. I'm not a little guy. She hugged me so tight. I couldn't pry her arms off of me. She comes out and she goes, thank you. She didn't know why I was there. Julie never told her. That was his mom. She come. Wow. This happens. She comes in and then she goes, have a great day. And she says, thank you. And I leave. I go out. I'm going to get a text message. It started flowing in. Julie goes, the poop hit the fan. The poop hit the fan. The doctor read the chart and immediately said, pull the IVs. We're giving him the wrong medicine. His brain's going to be swollen. That's the two things I said. And then he said, he's going to be a vegetable the rest of his life. He'll be in hospice, which was wrong. He needed time to heal. Mm -hmm. So um, after all of that, about a week or so after they unplugged Bill and got him like coming back, he did come out of his coma. He did come out of everything. And his mom said her final goodbyes to him. And that week she passed away and she was a strong, there was nothing wrong with her, but it was her time to go. God wanted her, but she was there for him. When he woke up, she seen him, gave her love and it was her time to go. Mm-hmm. I wrote that part in the book and, and dedicated that whole chapter and that story to her for her son and Julie. Now, looking at that in hindsight and looking what transpired between creator spirit, me and bill. That was a personal thing. That was just him. It was no, no showboating. There was nothing like, you know, whatever. And it, it was fascinating as Julie came on after that happened, many different shows I've done. She came on the, the host brought her on as a surprise. You know, when we talked about bill and everything and, you know, because the man's alive. Man, he's like me. He, he probably can't shut up like me either. He just talk, talk, talk. But he he loves his dogs. And, I mean, he's normal. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if they would have unplugged him the time I was in Virginia filming. He wouldn't be here today. And I don't take no credit for that. And I tell Julie that. And I told her that many times. It's got nothing to do with me. That's got something to do with God and Bill, not me. So it, I was just a catalyst and 
and the way to convey the message and make that we all do things proper. So that's one story that's in there. It's more depth in the book, but yeah, that's um, that's how it happened. Are you amazed by what you do? No, um, it's different with me. I look at what's next, um, what what what's, what's coming next, and who's going to need help. Um, that's it. Uh, I mean, I'm just. Just recently here, just before Christmas, I'm on a missing uh, lady's daughter here in my hometown. I swore up and down I'd never do another case in my hometown because mm -hmm. I've had death threats and stuff before that's linked very deep in the deep, deep parasitic world of crime and which involves many different people. And I live here. My children live here. My wife is here. So that stopped. And I told the lady, I said, I would never, ever, ever. And I said, the only person who ever made me do this case was my wife she told me you got to help her so that's another one i'm on right now um everything i told her hit key right on so now they're going to look and there's much more involved in this is a very very big big substantial type of thing um drugs and you know what have you but yeah uh no i'd never look at it as uh me i did that and maybe I might get a fat head for about five minutes, but mm -hmm. on the good part of it where I go, yeah, we found the lady. She's home with her family now. And, you know, or, yeah, we solved it and we got the guy. He's in jail. And that's my five minutes of fame in my home, not mm -hmm. outside of my home. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, you know, I, I the next one, the next one, there's just too many. Sure, 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 sure. Robbie, thank you so much. Like I said, you're an idol of mine. It was so fun to get you on. I mean, I'm just, I'm just in awe of you and, and the work you do. And no, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a thrill. Um, it gets me a chance to, to talk about this and, and get off my chest too, because I mean, like you say, do you ever this? You do ever that? Well, here's my vent, and I thank yes. you for that. Absolutely. How can people find you, sir? Robbie at Robbie thomas.net sorry robbie thomas.net very simple fantastic what's next for you um i'm casted in a new series in japan um and i'm in this other tv series right now that's award-winning people can check it out on uh amazon prime in america it's called halloween obsessed cool um the first episode pilot is all about witches and and it's amazing the cast members and, and what have you they're all involved um we won seven awards on two on two episodes so far um i'm i'm loving it and so again and then in japan i just got casted for another show in japan big one so i'm hoping um everything goes well there fantastic thank you so much again love to have you back sometime Absolutely. All right, Robbie, you have a good rest of the week, okay? Thank you. you too. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Oh, my gosh, that was fun. I have followed his career for years, and I see he had a pair of horse shirt on. That's my good friend, Scott Gruenwald, his pair, his pair, of, his pair of horse shirts. See, we're all interconnected somehow with this with this stuff. Um, Again, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't hear a worship a lot, but uh, when, I, when, when I see a medium or a psychic that's been going on for years like he has and the work he's done with the police. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Tomorrow, let me sit up here. Ah, ugh, my body creaking. 
tomorrow, Joshua, our, our old friend Joshua Kutchin is going to join us, and he's been doing research in death. Are you ready for this? Death, aliens, and the paranormal. So we're going to see what he has to say about that. So we're back at our usual time tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Okay. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Let me loosen this up, man. These glasses, it changes everything with the way my head shaped and all this with the headphones. Um, visit us at youtube.com forward slash ampersand, which is the at thing. Okay, little at button thingy. California Haunts Radio. And you will find all of our videos there, including this one, if you want to see a replay. Or, of course, if you're watching from Facebook, the replay will be on Facebook. Okay, for those of you that are coming in late at 6.30, the replay is going to be here, going to be right on Facebook. If you like what you saw on Facebook, please be sure to hit that like and share button. And also be sure to, uh, yeah, be, be sure to join up. Follow me. Okay, same thing with YouTube. Uh, click on that little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I think you're going to like everything that's sitting over there. I can tell you that for sure. But anyway, I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, we there's a California Haunts Discord. I don't have the link up for you today. I'll have it up for you tomorrow. But uh, go over to Discord, type in California Haunts. It should pop up. It's California Haunts Ghostly um, ghostly Groupies. I'm getting senile. Ghostly Groupies. And join us because we go over there and we're going to be chit-chatting. You know, when this thing finally gets powered up completely... We're going to be chit-chatting after hours. This is all after hours chat. This is this is for the cool kids. This isn't for the this is this isn't for the, the wimpy kids. This is the this is where the cool kids hang out. Okay. So we can talk about anything we want, anything paranormal, anything that's on your mind. You have a bad day at work, we can talk about it. Whatever you want to talk about, it's wide open. So uh, join me over at the California Haunts Discord. Okay, anyway, I'm going to show you uh, Robbie's information, contact information and his books, and then we're going to blow I'm going to, I'm going to blow out of here. So here we go. Hello. Okay, here we go. Buttons. Who's got the button? Okay, his website is robbythomas.net. All lowercase. Excuse me for the noises. And uh, Parasylum and Psychic Profiler are the first two books. And then the other book is Robbie Thomas, Paranormal Encounters, and Signs from Heaven by Robbie Thomas. And, of course, you can get those books at his website or Amazon. Okay, guys, I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, with, jo with our good friend Joshua Kutchin. See ya.